Approach to Farming in Southern Rhodesia by L.T. Tracy, farmer of Chakari, Southern Rhodesia. Published in 1945 by the University of London Press Limited and issued by authority of the Minister of Agriculture. Here is a quote from Sir Thomas Overbreeze, character of a yeoman, at the start of this book. Though he be a master, he says not to his servant, go to the field, but let us go, and with his own eye doth fatten his flock and set forward all manner of husbandry. This book will be narrated by John MacRobert and we will go in segments, probably chapter by chapter. Please note that because we are now in 2022, I have changed references in the book to Rhodesia to Zimbabwe. Chapter 3. Livestock It is not possible in a book of this nature, which has to cover a wide range of subjects, to go at all deeply into so complex a subject as that of animal nutrition. There are a great many books devoted to the subject. That which applies best to Zimbabwean conditions is the American work Feeds and Feeding by Professor F. B. Morrison. This has gone through many editions and in each it has been brought up to date with new knowledge that keeps pouring in from the very large body of scientists who, in all parts of the world, are discovering new facets of this intricate and fascinating subject. The experimental work that has contributed to this knowledge cannot be ignored by the stockman who wishes to bring his intelligence to bear most effectively on his work. He should therefore keep such a book by him, both for study and reference. The experience of the writer is that nutritional problems constantly arise in Zimbabwean stock raising, and that if the counsel of a book such as Feeds and Feeding be sought, not only is light shed on the problem itself, but the stockman gradually comes to get a more balanced idea of the subject as a whole. If only for the sake of economy, the keeper of livestock should have at least an outline of the natural laws that control the growth and health of animals, and as the domestic animals have to subsist on plants, a knowledge of how these grow and what they consist of is also necessary for the man who undertakes the interesting, if exacting, task of caring for animals if he is to get those satisfying results that make his work his pleasure. The makeup of food. In growing crops and feeding them to stock, he will be assisting in the natural cycle of building up and breaking down, which is the fundamental law of the universe. For plants which draw their energy from the sun, take certain simple substances such as carbon dioxide, nitrogen, a few minerals, salts and water, and convert them into complex carbohydrates, fats and proteins according to the nature of each different plant. The digestive process of the animals, and these vary according to the species, break down the complex substances, discarding what they cannot deal with, and using the rest to provide body heat and muscular energy to repair body tissue that keeps breaking down under the stress of living, and in the case of female animals, to build new life and to feed it. Function of Carbohydrates It is the carbohydrates such as starch, sugars, oils, fats and cellulose that are the fuel that keeps the animal body warm and provides it with energy to move about and find more food. To masticate and digest this and to keep its heart beating and its breathing apparatus working. If carbohydrates are in short supply, they will do little more than keep the essential functions of the body operating. The animal will be listless and have no surplus energy for those activities that make an animal lively. The working animal will be able to do his work only at the expense of energy he has stored in his body in the form of fat. In fact, he will get thin and distressed, for all the functions of his body 
will slow up and eventually, like a steam engine that is not stoked, you will cease operating and be dead. Carbohydrates to give energy are therefore the primary essential in feeding stock, but they are not all the same quality and do not all provide the same amount of energy. The sugars in starch are readily absorbed through the digestive tract and provide energy that is quite easily measurable. The oils and fats undergo a different digestive process, but when absorbed into the bloodstream, they supply more than twice as much energy, weight for weight, as starch. The cellulose, which assumes various chemical forms in the process of growth in the plant, is not so readily converted into energy in the animal body. When it is casing of a newly formed plant cell, as in a green leaf, it is easily broken down and used. But if it has been long formed and is in the woody part of the plant, it may be quite impossible to digest and is therefore useless to the animal. That is what is known as crude fiber. In Zimbabwean stock grazing, it has an especial significance. For the old tough grass that composes the major portion of our felt in the winter has a high proportion of crude fiber. And when this is the case, the animal may expend more energy on masticating and digesting than the grass can return to the body. Even though his belly be full of such food, the animal is wasting. This is a somewhat loose statement of the facts. For the proportion of the crude fiber that can be digested varies from breed to breed and from individual to individual. The stomach flora, which plays such a large part in digestion, thrive or decline according to a beast's own makeup and the quality of food that it is getting. It is possible that stomach flora control more than anything else whether a beast is a good or a bad doer. It is certainly one of the factors that give Afrikaners and indigenous cattle their ability to thrive under harsh conditions. Function of the proteins. The proteins are essential to all life, for they repair broken down tissue in the animal's body and provide for the making of new tissue and growth. For that reason, they are of far more importance to the young growing animal than the mature one. The faster that the young animal has to grow, the greater intake of protein he needs. The thing that differentiates the protein from the carbohydrates is the nitrogen which they contain in addition to the carbon, hydrogen and oxygen of the latter. Grasses draw their nitrogen from the soil, but as soil nitrates are never plentiful, grasses are not as well supplied with proteins as those plants which are able to draw the free nitrogen of the air into their systems. These are known as legumes, and they form the main suppliers of protein and animal nutrition. Proteins are not all of the same structure, and some of them are termed protein of poor quality, for they alone will not provide all that is needed by the animal body. There are some 22 simpler compounds called amino acids which go to make up proteins, and these may be combined in limitless combinations. If some of these amino acids are lacking in the protein derived from one source, such as maize for instance, then other sources have to be found to make good the deficiency. Function of minerals. Animals have a bony structure which has to be built up out of minerals. Calcium and phosphorus are needed for making bone. Both of these, but especially phosphorus, are lacking in most Zimbabwean soils, and therefore in most Zimbabwean plants, and this must be borne in mind at all times by farmers in this country. Iron is needed for making blood, and this is usually found in sufficiency in normal animal foods. But chlorine, which is an essential part of the digestive juices, tend to disappear from Zimbabwean grasses, chiefly in Mashonaland, as they near maturity, until they cannot be relied upon to provide a sufficiency of this very essential mineral. Functions of vitamins. Vitamins, which are of comparatively recent discovery, are more easily understood by the non-scientists in their effect than in their composition. 
For instance, a young beast that is suffering from rickets may be assumed to be lacking in vitamin D if it is known that the intake of calcium and phosphorus is sufficient. Vitamins, for practical purposes, may be looked upon as the lubricating oils that keep the well-stoked engine of the body functioning without friction, provided that the animal's food is supplied from a number of sources and that it is living a natural life, not denied sunlight and not forced to grow at an abnormal pace or produce an abnormal amount of milk or work, there will be sufficiency of vitamins in the good, healthy food with which it is provided. Balance in Foods From the foregoing thumbnail sketch of what an animal needs in its food, it will be seen that these consist of carbohydrates, proteins, minerals and vitamins. It will also be appreciated that they are needed at the same time and in their proper proportions. It is wasteful, for instance, to feed to a mature animal a lot of starch to give the body energy if at the same time sufficient protein is not given to make good the losses of tissue which that energy brings about. If the animal be young and growing, it will need protein for growth as well as for repair and the proportion of starch to protein will have to be narrower. So it can be seen that an animal needs a balanced ration and it will depend on a number of factors as to what constitutes the proper balance. A horse standing in a stable will not require the same amount of energy giving food as one doing a full day's work. A cow giving four or five gallons of milk a day will need more nutrients of all sorts than a dry cow. A bullock that is being fattened for the butcher will need more fattening foods, such as starch and fats, than a store beast. Each of these will require a certain amount of food comprising all the essentials to keep the body functioning, a maintenance ration, in fact, and that amount will vary according to the size of the animal. For production, additional food will be needed, so a balanced ration is one that will provide for maintenance and also for the extra work or growth or production that is required of the animal. Experimenters have done a tremendous amount of work to discover what the food requirements of all classes of domestic animals are under different conditions, and these have been set down in tables as feeding standards. Nutritive ratio. A major consideration in balancing a ration is to have the correct proportion of protein to carbohydrates and fats. When a foodstuff is analyzed chemically, it is set out in percentages showing the proportions of moisture, ash, that is the minerals, crude protein, the oils and fats, the fiber and the carbohydrates. By a small mathematical calculation, it can be found what proportion the protein of the food bears to the remainder of the nutrients, and that is the nutritive ratio. To calculate the nutritive ratio, the percentage of protein is divided into the sum of the percentages of the carbohydrates and fiber and the percentage of fat, multiplied by 2.3. This is then written with a colon as in 1 as to 9. It means that the food with a nutritive value of 1 as to 9 has one part of protein and nine parts of other nutrients. This is an important piece of information for the stockman. For by reference to a table of feeding standards such as Morrison's in feeds and feeding, he knows the nutritive ratio that is required for his stock. For instance, a growing dairy heifer weighing 180 kgs needs a nutritive ratio lying between 1 as to 6.5 and 1 as to 7.0. A two-year-old steer weighing 450 kgs being fattened needs a nutritive ratio somewhere between 1 as to 7.5 and 
and 1 is to 8.5. Or again, the nutritive ratio for a 45 kilogram porker should be between 1 is to 5.8 and 1 is to 6.2. If the stockman does not mix his rations to comply with these nutritive ratios, he may be sure that he will be feeding uneconomically and not getting the results that he should. Digestibility. Now it must not be thought that a chemical analysis of a foodstuff is a sure guide to its value, for it will depend on the digestion of the animal as to how much of the food can be utilized, and the digestive process of different classes of stock vary. Ruminants, for instance, can deal with large quantities of fiber, whereas a pig cannot. However, that matter has been simplified by actual scientific tests of the digestibility of the various foodstuffs. The apparatus to effect this is extremely complicated, and no digestibility trials have yet been carried out in Zimbabwe. But the composition of foods grown in other countries is, for practical purposes, very similar to the food grown in this. And digestibility figures arrived at in the United States or elsewhere can be accepted for our conditions. What concerns the stockman most closely is the amount of digestible nutrients which he is feeding to his stock. The indigestible portion is passed out in the feces, and though it will do good to his fields, it will not nourish his beasts. So in computing a ration, he must work on the ascertained digestible nutrients, and in working out the nutritive ratio, as outlined above, he must not use figures of crude protein or crude fiber, but of digestible crude protein, and of soluble carbohydrates and fat. Balancing a ration. No class of animals should be fed on one sort of food alone. A mixture of several sorts is far more likely to provide all that the animal needs to give it the right bulk, to suit its digestive system, to make it palatable, and also provide a full range of minerals. The feeder's art is so to combine the available feeds that they meet the requirements of the class of stock he is feeding in regard to digestible protein, carbohydrates, minerals, and bulk. This can be done only by making a mathematical calculation based on the analysis of the individual feeds. Suppose he wishes to feed a pen of yearling beef weighing about 270 kilograms. Bearing in mind as a rough guide that this class of stock needs rather more than 1 kilogram of dry matter for every 45 kilograms of live weight, he will set out a ration of foods which he has available in proportions which he thinks will fill the bill. It might be 14 kilograms of silage, 2 kilograms of maize, and 500 grams of nut cake. When he has calculated the weight in pounds of dry matter, digestible protein, and total digestible nutrients in each of these, and has added them together, he will find that he has feed that gives him total dry matter of 6 kilograms, digestible protein of 330 grams, total digestible nutrients of 4.4 kilograms. By reference to Morrison table of feeding standards, he will find that his first guess to have been approximately right. But if he is rationing dairy heifers of the same weight, he will find that though the dry matter is right, the protein is insufficient and the nutritive ratio is too wide. He therefore makes a fresh calculation, increasing the nut cake or adding another concentrated source of protein such as cottonseed. By a process of trial and error, he thus arrives at a ration that will fill the requirements of the beasts. Theory into practice. The foregoing may appear to the practical farmer to be rather in the realms of theory. Be that as it may, it is undoubtedly in the realms of economics. The farmer who feeds an unbalanced ration to his pigs and gets them to factory weight at eight months will make a smaller profit on them 
than the man who feeds a balanced ration and turns him off finished at six months. The dairyman who feeds a 22-litre cow a ration that does not fulfill her requirements will very soon have a 15-gallon cow. The cowkeeper who feeds skim milk to his calves without making up the requisite quantity of fat will very quickly have a pen of starry-coated pot-bellied wrecks that he will never grow out to replenish his herd of cows. It is only by a knowledge of his animal's requirements that he can provide them, and only by the knowledge of the makeup of the fodder crops and the concentrates that he can do so with the best economy. Planting crops to get balanced rations. In practice, he will start balancing his rations for the following year when he plants his crops. He will plant grain crops for his carbohydrates. These cannot supply the amount of protein he will need, so he will plant legumes to supply him with cheap protein roughages, either as hay or insulage. He may plant cotton for the sake of the seed, which will give him a high protein concentrate. He will certainly plant fodder crops to provide succulent roughage in the form of silage, and he will probably underplant them with legumes so as to increase the nutritive ratio of the silage. And all this he will do with his mind on the number of beasts he will have to feed, the number of days he will probably have to feed them, and the amount of each type of food he will need. If he is a stockman at heart, and not only in name, he will make these calculations and then make a liberal allowance to ensure that his stock do not go short through any misadventure. Thus ends chapter 3. I'd like to make a few comments on chapter 3, Livestock, in Mr. Tracy's book. This is a short chapter. Quite simple, quite basic, but it does provide a very good introduction to his later chapters on the beef herd, the dairy herd and pigs. In this little chapter, he raises two main points. The first is a short point, and that is the relationship of livestock and the feed available on the farm. The second, in which he goes into a lot more detail, is understanding the components of feed, the function of these components, and the balance of these components. So briefly, firstly, the relationship of livestock and feed available on the farm. There are basically three sources of feed for the livestock enterprises on a farm. The first is the natural vegetation, that is the grass and the browse available. And this should be the main source of feed, but it's generally or often not sufficient, especially in the dry months of the year. So the second very important source of feed for our livestock are the crops that we may grow, either directly to provide grain or silage or indirectly through the supply of residues. And thirdly, there is the option of buying in feed, but he, he lays down a basic principle that as far as possible, a livestock enterprise should be fed with the production from the farm itself, simply because the import or purchase of feed is expensive. He also emphasizes time and again, not only in this chapter, but throughout this book, on the integration of crops and livestock to improve the nutrition of livestock and to improve the soil through the application of manure and compost. Now this aspect of the relationship of livestock and feed available on a farm is dealt with in a lot more detail in the later chapters and we'll get to those. At one point he speaks of the stomach flora and the importance of these in the digestion of the 
feed that is provided. This aspect of livestock nutrition is becoming more and more of interest and importance as we understand more about the microbiome within the stomachs of animals and even of ourselves and how the microbiome is very much linked to the soil, the plants, the feed and the performance of the animal. Now I don't know a lot about this but it is certainly becoming something that's very interesting and important and I did listen to a podcast once where they are going into a lot of detail trying to understand the diversity of the microbiome within ruminants and then finding ways to enhance the microbiome so that the animal is able to better digest its food. And this is an area which I think farmers need to keep an eye on because there are things that can be added to the diet such as biochar that I've heard and other products that can stimulate the microflora within the stomachs of animals. And so this is an area that I think is where farmers can learn a lot more, find out a bit more, and see how this can improve the nutrition of their livestock. By far the largest proportion of this chapter is on understanding the components of feed, their function and balance. The components of feed are basically carbohydrates, protein, minerals and vitamins, plus the undigestible portion, the crude fiber in a, in a diet which while it doesn't necessarily provide direct nutrition to the animal, especially for ruminants, it's a very important component of the diet because it helps in rumen function and so on. But these components, carbohydrates, protein, minerals and vitamins, vary in proportion and quantity depending on the type of vegetation that is being consumed and the stage of growth of that vegetation, whether it is young, mature or dead. So understanding how these these proportions and quantities vary with this time and stage of vegetative growth or vegetation is important to formulating a diet. The function of these four is also very important to understand because they have an impact or their, their role varies with the age of the animal and purpose for which that animal is being produced. So we have carbohydrates, mainly for energy and growth, proteins, which are mainly for growth, and the difference between carbohydrates and proteins is that proteins contain this element nitrogen in addition to the carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. And that nitrogen obviously varies in the plant depending on the stage of growth of the plant and of course the type of plant. And grasses usually have a lower nitrogen content than for example legumes. The minerals, he highlights the importance of calcium and phosphorus and we know that in Zimbabwean soils phosphorus is generally short and so a lot of our natural feeds are deficient in phosphorus and need to be supplemented. He speaks of iron and chlorine as well but we now also know that selenium and magnesium are also important. Finally vitamins are important as he calls them the lubricants of the animal's bodily functions. These vitamins are generally sufficient if the animal is given a diversity of feed sources. Of particular importance once you understand the components and the function of these is balancing them in the ration or in the feed. And this balance is a matter of the livestock type, the age of the livestock and the purpose with which that livestock is being kept. So obviously the, the balance of these components will differ between a ruminant and a non-ruminant, between a young and a growing and an older animal, and of course also between animals that are kept for fattening, or working animals, or, or producing animals, such as those producing milk.
So in this little chapter, he gives a few examples of how to balance a ration depending on the stage and age and purpose of the livestock. But in the latter chap chapters, he goes into a lot more detail on this issue. What I really like about Mr. Tracy's book and even this little short chapter is how practical he is and how he makes us really think about what we are trying to achieve with our livestock, what sources of feed we've got and how to optimize these. When it comes to feeding livestock, Mr. Tracy emphasizes the importance of producing as much of the feed needs of the livestock on the farm as opposed to buying it in, simply because it is more economical to do so. But of course he does recognize that at certain times and for certain components of a diet, imported purchased rations may be required. For example, phosphorus supplementation or at times even protein supplementation. So this is a little chapter on the, an introduction to livestock management. So in conclusion, I'd like to just read this one sentence from this chapter. Mr. Tracy says, It is only by a knowledge of his animal's requirements that he can provide them, and only by a knowledge of the makeup of the fodder crops and concentrates that he can do so with the best economy. Thank you for listening. Thank you.